0: Come on, can we give Jesus a big hand clap of praise tonight, Self 30? Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Come on, can we lift up the name that is above every name? Come on, I think our God deserves a standing ovation of praise in this place tonight. Come on, let's lift him up. God, we bless you tonight. Have your way, hallelujah. Hey, before you take your seat, before you take your seat, can you do me this favor? Just look at your neighbor, I want you to get in their face, get in their personal space, and just say neighbor, I got a feeling that tonight is going to be a good night. Oh, that was the wrong neighbor. They were stuck up. They don't want to talk to you. I saw Come on, find you another neighbor. Find you another neighbor. Come on, say other neighbor. You're my second option. But I want you to know tonight is going to be a good night. Come on, if you believe it, would you give God one more hand clap of praise up in here? Hallelujah. You can be seated. You can be seated. Uh, don't get comfortable. You might be back up again. Come on. <laughs> Anybody glad to be in church on a Sunday night? You got to understand, I, I, I'm not just excited to be here tonight. I am a Red Bull excited, espresso elated. I, I have been waiting. Been waiting with tiptoe anticipation for tonight. Because you gotta understand, first of all, just to let you know straight out the gate, I'm already a part of the Celebration Church family. I've adopted myself in. This is like my third time here. As a matter of fact, we had an awesome time this morning at Celebration Orlando. So I'm a part of the family. However, this is my first time to be with the Sub 30 family. And the word on the street is there is absolutely nothing like the Sub 30 service. That's what I hear. I just hear it it goes down in the PM service at sub 30. So uh man, I am excited to be here. I truly believe God's gonna do some phenomenal things. It's amazing uh, that every time I come, just to hear the reports of how people's lives are continue to be changed. Three hundred and sixty-eight people today were baptized. Come on, somebody. This is unbelievable. And uh I think sometimes you can be in the midst of a miracle and not even realize it. And I just hope you know uh, that this is not an ordinary church. This is an extraordinary church. And, uh, man, what's happening here is simply by the grace and the favor of God, uh, but also because you got great pastors and great leaders. In fact, I was talking to your pastor before I came out here, and I always want to salute, celebrate him, because I think he's the best of the best, him and his wife. Can we thank God? Come on, for Pastor Stovall, for Pastor Carrie, Come on. Y'all can do better than that, man, that they let us every week come in here they're the best of the best come on while you're clapping help me thank God for my white chocolate brother pastor clay who's one of the best (laughs) preachers on the planet come on sub 30 don't y'all love your pastor and his wife come on it's amazing and Pastor Keith, man, had the best time fellowshipping with him today. Y'all are, just, y'all are just crazy, ridiculous, blessed. And uh, man, I'm excited to share the word. I bring you greetings from the great country of Texas. Uh, come on, somebody. Live there in Dallas. Uh, been there really my whole life. Been married now. Been married now for four years, six days, eight minutes and 22 seconds to the finest woman on the planet. Uh, Her name is Taylor. Uh, She's not here tonight because she's actually at home with my two children. I got a beautiful baby girl and uh, eight weeks ago had our first son, my legacy, Robert Madu III. And uh, now you know how some, some rookie parents are. As soon as they become a parent, they think their kid the most beautiful kid in the world and always putting up pictures of their kid because they think everybody want to see how cute their kid is. I'm not that dad. I would never. I made a vow to not be that dad. Y'all ain't got to worry about me putting my kids on the screen. This about me preaching Jesus, not you seeing my kids. So you ain't got to worry about me doing that tonight because we good. That's not true. If y'all don't put my kids on every one of these screens, Come on, Sub-30. People, people, I made that, I made that. Man, that's my daughter Everly Adair, and my son Robert III, and uh, man, if you hadn't noticed, the reason I'm glowing is not because I use exfoliating skin products, it's, uh, it's because I love being a dad. Fatherhood is the best hood, and uh, man, I love those kids, and uh, I'm excited for the Word. Can I jump straight to the Word God's given me? Is that cool? Did you bring a Bible to sub-30 tonight? If you got a Bible, why don't you wave it in the air like you just do care? Awesome. Some of your Bibles are glowing. Can we thank God for this worship team? How awesome were they tonight? Thank you so much, man. I'm good. Thank you. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12 tonight. Hebrews 12. and I want to look at verses 1 and 2 then also first Samuel 18:5 through9. Hebrews chapter 12, one and two, and the verse Samuel 18:5 through9 never want to assume anything. Why are you looking for it? How many of you actually have never heard me preach before? Can I see your hand if you never heard me preach? Oh, Lord, that's a lot of (laughs) y'all. Okay, quick disclaimer, Um, there's so many different preaching styles in the body of Christ. There are some preachers who are very calm and very quiet, very stoic, and very sedate as they stand behind a table or pulpit to softly pontificate the processes of philosophy, eschatology, and soteriology, and they would consider it uncanny and boisterous for you to say anything while they're sharing what the Lord has deposited in the deep recesses of their heart soul mind and spirit uh i ain't one of those preachers okay (laughs) let you know right now i am a hollaback preacher okay all that means is all that means is i preach better and shorter hello somebody if you get responsive while i'm preaching i don't need to tell you that but if anything i say resonates with you you can say amen you can say preach that you can grunt uh (laughs) You could literally stand up in the middle and go, whoo, that was for me. <laughs> you could also stand up in the middle and go, ooh, that was for you, for real. Man. <laughs> you <mean? laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm sharing something that uh, really has just been given life to me, and I hadn't been able to get out of my heart and my spirit for a while now, and I really believe it's going to be a blessing to you. Hebrews 12, when you got it, say yeah. yeah. If you're still looking, say hold up. I'll give you some time. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. What an awesome thought to consider That God has set a race before each and every one of us, and we're required to run that race. How do we do it? The writer of Hebrews tells us we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Can you say amen? Amen. And then just to add an addendum to this, 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 9, and I'm reading from Eugene Peterson's message translation, and it says, Whatever Saul gave David to do, he did it, and did it well, so well that Saul put him in charge of his military operations. Everybody, both the people in general and Saul's servants, approved of and admired David's leadership. As they returned home after David had killed the Philistine, the women poured out of all of the villages of Israel, singing and dancing, welcoming King Saul with tambourines, festive songs, and lutes. I'm not really sure what a lute is, but I'm assuming it's like a flute. Without the F, and <laughs> profound, I know. And it says, in playful frolic, in playful frolic. Come on, you know it's a party when people are frolicking, okay? <laughs> in playful frolic, the women saying, Saul kills by the thousand, David by the ten thousand. Ooh, and this, this made Saul feel some type of way. This, this made Saul angry, very angry, and he took it as a personal insult. He said, huh. They credit David with ten thousands, but me with only thousands? Before you know it, they'll be giving him the kingdom. And from that moment on, Saul kept his eye on David. Ooh, can you say amen? I don't mean to preach before I preach, so don't count this as my preaching time. But I want you just for a moment to see these two passages of Scripture in parallel because here we have the writer of Hebrews who says there is, in fact, a race that's been set before each and every one of us And we run that race by keeping our eyes on who? On Jesus. But here you have Saul because of a comparison that these ladies made between him and David. No longer is he running his race with his eyes on Jesus. But comparison is so strong, it caused him to shift his focus and his attention onto David. I want to preach tonight, not long, about five and a half hours. (laughs) Just from this thought, on their mark. You're taking notes. That's my title. On their mark. I realize when you're running a race, they say get on your mark. But I'm finding many people cannot run the race that God has set before them because they have their eyes on the people in the lanes beside them. So instead of being on your mark, you're on. This is going to be good up in here. Come on. Let's pray before we go into this word tonight. Would you bow your heads with me? It's going to be a long prayer, uh, but just bear with me. God, you are awesome. Speak to us tonight. Amen. (laughs) On there, Mark. Quick little sermonic survey before we delve into this tonight. How many of you would say, just by a showing of hands, that you like to work out? You enjoy exercise. Can I see your hand? Wow, that's a lot of hands. Come on, we got the healthy group right here (laughs) at (laughs) sub-30. All right. How many of you would say, by a showing of hands, that you don't like to work out, you don't enjoy exercise? Can I see your hand? Come on, don't lie, don't lie in church. Okay, awesome. You can put it down. Um, th- those of you, those of you who lifted up your hand the first time, the first time, saying that you like to work out, that you actually enjoy exercise. You are officially dismissed from this service, okay? No, for real, you can leave. As a matter of fact, run home, okay? (laughs) Because... Because uh, I have now found some camaraderie and some commonality with the second group of people. Y'all are my people. Come on. I will lift up both hands, both feet, tell the truth, and shame the devil, okay? There is absolutely nothing in me that likes to go to the gym, that finds pleasure or enjoyment in going to work out. As a matter of fact, I am theologically and physiologically persuaded that having to work out was as a result of the fall of man. I'm serious, people. There were no gems in Genesis, okay? There were no ellipticals in the Garden of Eden, all right? You can't have Pilates and have paradise. God, in his infinite wisdom and his omnipotent power, created us as perfectly perfect beings. Perfectly perfect. That means Adam had biceps. He had triceps. Uh, he didn't have a one-pack. He had a six-pack. Uh, ladies, ladies, Eve had 0% body fat zero percent. Some of you are like, "Uh uh-uh, Robert, what's your scripture for that? Oh, I'll give you some scripture. The Bible says, the Bible says in Genesis, they were both naked and unashamed. Come on, somebody. You only walk around naked if you got it going on. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It, It wasn't until they took of the forbidden fruit that sin and calories entered into the world. So I don't like to work out. I don't like to work out But I do work out. I do work out. And the reason I do what I hate is because of what I love, which is to eat, okay? I love to eat. I am a much better eater than I am a faster, okay? Don't hate on me. That's my spiritual gift. So, like, whenever I go to the gym, believe it or not, whenever I go to the gym, I actually like to lift. I love to lift. There's something manly about putting on Old Spice and lifting iron, okay? I like to lift. But how many know lifting does not burn the calories? It doesn't burn the calories. You have to do Cardio, Which means you have to engage in an evil three-letter word called run. People, this is my issue, okay? I hate to run. I despise running, okay? I cannot articulate to you how much I hate to run. I hate that run rhymes with fun because there was nothing fun to me about running, okay? Whenever I do run, I convince myself I have asthma just so I can stop running, okay? So, like... So, like, for me to get on the treadmill is a big deal. And I need a lot of motivation. I need a Nike Just Do a shirt I got to have motivational music. You know what I'm saying? I got the eye of a tiger. I need all that just to get on the treadmill. And then once I get on the treadmill, I'll start at a good glacial pace. And I'll be going. I'm like, oh, pfft this is easy. (laughs) This is awesome. I've been running for like, feels like 30 minutes. Then I look at the screen and it's like three minutes. I'm like, my asthma, I can't do this. I'm going to die today. (laughs) So I've developed this move and I'm letting out my secrets tonight. I've developed this move as a mechanism for motivation to stay running on the treadmill. True story. As I'm running on the treadmill, wanting to give up, wanting to throw in the towel, I would just slowly look to the right and then I look to the left, and I would just peruse the aisle of other people who are running on the treadmill. And what I'm doing is I'm looking for somebody, anybody, a much older-than-me body. And once I found that random person, I will lock my eye in on that person, and I will say something to them. Not out loud, but in my mind real loud. I will say to them, Psh, you don't walk none. Now... <laughs> Let me explain what just happened when I said, psh, you don't want none. When I said that, unbeknownst to that person, we just entered into a race, okay? oh don't act like I'm the only one that does this okay like when I said that this workout just got real okay as soon as I made that declaration the entire gymnasium has now been transformed to the 2016 Olympics and the first person to step off is going home with the silver and the one that stays on the longest is going home with the gold and I'm gonna get the gold because I'm a child of God and all we do is win 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 no matter what can I get a witness up in suffer it's so true and it really helps me it really helps me when the person is right next to me because then I can see their screen and see exactly how fast they're going you know what I'm saying so it's even so like if they're on level 6 I'm on level six. Point one. if they speed up I'm going to speed up if they go on an incline I'm going to incline if they stop and take a break I'm going to stop and take a break Oh, yes, I'm not going to keep running while they stop and take a break. That's cheating. You can't cheat in the Olympics. This is a global event. So (laughs) whatever they do, I will do. And then I'll wait for it. And as soon as they press stop and get off the treadmill, I will speed mine up to the fastest level because you got to sprint to the finish line. Then I'll press stop, grab my towel, jump off, and say, I got the gold and rejoice in my sweet victory. I wish I was lying, but I'm being so honest with y'all tonight. Matter of fact, matter of fact, true story, I beat a guy a couple of weeks ago in the gym, random guy, and I saw him in the locker room afterwards, and I said, hey, man, how are you? He said, I'm good. How are you? I said, I'm great. In fact, I'm golden, loser. It was awesome. And, uh, and you laugh because, you know, it's, uh, it's funny. It's, it's comical when you talk about comparing yourself to other people in the gym or comparing yourself to other people when you're doing exercise. But how many you know it's not so funny? When you talk about comparing yourself to other people in life. And, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, what I'm afraid tonight's message mandates is that you introspectively ask the critical question who are you racing? Who are you racing? I'm just wondering who in your life have you set your eye on and you are running your race according to their pace instead of doing the thing that God has called you to do, instead of chasing after the purpose and the assignment that God has placed on your life before the foundation of the earth. I just came to warn you tonight that the comparison game is a dangerous game to play. I don't know whether you notice this or not when you're running on a treadmill, which is another reason why I hate running. Have you noticed when you're on a treadmill, you're doing a lot of movement? A lot of breathing, a lot of sweat, but you ain't going anywhere. You're in the exact same position the entire time. What a beautiful metaphor for comparing yourself to other people because whenever you compare yourself to somebody else, all you end up doing is exerting a lot of psychological, emotional, and spiritual energy, trying to keep up and compete with somebody you were never called or created to be. And at the end of all of it, you realize, I'm in the exact same position I was when I first started. I'm afraid tonight I actually have more message than I have minutes because I'm actually just exercising something a great mentor of mine told me that I'll never forget. He said, Robert, if you'll just preach from your weakness, you'll never lack for material to preach. I'm preaching from my weakness tonight because I have found in my own life, as I've been running the race God has set before me, I have an inner proclivity and tendency to look at the people in the lanes beside me. Hear me. I am convinced. I am convinced that comparison is the number one destroyer of destiny. I am convinced that the enemy's number one weapon of mass distraction and mass destruction is to get you to compare yourself to somebody else. It's his number one weapon, because after all, that's what got him kicked out of heaven. Satan, Lucifer, you know he used to be on the praise and worship team. It started with comparison. He was created to be a conduit, to be an expression of God's glory, but he starts comparing himself to God and said, I will exalt my throne above the most high, and that's what got him fired and dismissed, and now his job is to kill, steal, and destroy from you and I and that's exactly what comparison will do it will kill your joy it will steal your peace it will suffocate your sanity comparison is the thief of joy comparison is like cancer to contentment I, uh, I love the Apostle Paul, uh, you know, the artist formerly known as Saul, and he wrote uh, two-thirds of your New Testament. And, and I love when he starts bringing order and structure to the church of Corinth because he actually warns them and lets them know that comparison is the opposite of wisdom. He says it's antithetical to wisdom. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 12. Paul says this. He says, for we dare not, We dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Paul says you are stupid, you are foolish, you are cray-cray if you are comparing yourself to somebody else. And do you know why comparison is not wise? Hear me tonight. Because comparison will consistently cloud the clarity of God's call on your life. That was so nice, I'm going to say it twice. Comparison will consistently cloud the clarity of God's call on your life. Meaning, if you ever want to be confused about what God's called you to do, then just start comparing yourself to what other people have been called to do. First of all, let's just establish tonight that there has been a call that has been placed on your life. Oh, come on. I hope somebody knows that up in sub-30, that there is a call on your life. That Jesus did not go to a cross and get up from the grave so we could have cute church services and sit on your blessed assurance. But there's actually a purpose and a call and an assignment that he has placed on your life. Come on. You understand you are not in the earth by accident. You are here by God's divine providence because he has put a call on your life. A call. A call A call that is so specific, a call that is so idiosyncratic that only you can do the thing that God has put you on this earth to do. Come on, your mother can't do it, your father can't do it, your sister can't do it, your crazy cousin can't do it. Only you can do the thing that God has called you to do. As a matter of fact, you ought to check your pulse. If you got a pulse, that pulse is proof positive that God is not through with you yet because there is a call and an assignment that he put on your life before the foundation of the earth. I feel like preaching now. There's a call, a call on your life. You understand there's a difference between a career and a calling. See, a career is what you get paid to do. A calling is the thing you were made to do. It's the thing that when you do it, you say, I was born to do this right here. Furthermore, furthermore, God has given you everything you need to accomplish that call. Come on, that's shouting stuff right there. To know that everything I need to do what God has called me to do, it's already in me. Everything you need to do what God has called you to do, it is already in you. You don't have to look outside of yourself. That means if you were supposed to be taller, guess what? He would have made you taller. If you were supposed to be faster, he would have made you faster. If you were supposed to sing, he would have given you a voice. If you were supposed to be Jacksonville's next top model, he would have made you cuter. Hello? If you were supposed to be black, he would have made you black. If you were supposed to be white, he would have made you white. If you were supposed to be Latino buenos dias he would have made you Latino you got everything you need on the inside of you hear me stop complaining to the master about the pieces you didn't get and just start praising him that you're a masterpiece Come on, somebody, you are a masterpiece. You have been carefully created and meticulously made by a God that loves you. You are a masterpiece. Come on, let's just give him a praise break and thank him for making you the way he made you. You're a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. Okay, I got to interrupt this regularly scheduled sermon so that you can engage in a verbal exercise. Would you just say this? Say, I... I am a masterpiece. Come on, say it like you believe that thing. Say, I, I am a masterpiece. Come on, say it like you got faith and power. Say, I, I am a masterpiece. I'm telling you, if that got in your heart and in your spirit, it will change the way you walk into a room. It will change the way you hold up your head to know that you are a masterpiece created by an artist who is God. Ooh, as a matter of fact, if you're really gangster, when you go to work or school or wherever you go tomorrow, you ought to just take you some velvet rope and put it around you. And when people say, why you got that velvet rope? Say, oh, you didn't know? I'm a masterpiece. There was a God that created me. Picasso can't touch him. Leonardo da Vinci has nothing on the God that formed me. I'm a masterpiece. Are y'all recording this? I'm gonna watch it later. It's blessing me. You're a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. Hear me. By the way, that's not just feel-good phraseology. Hear me. That's not just cute self-help talk. You understand that scripture. You don't believe me? Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 10 says, for we are God's masterpiece that he created us anew in christ jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago that god is a strategic god and he's already marked out a lane for each and every one of us to run in and all you have to do all you have to do is stay in your lane and keep your eyes on jesus so all you got to do is stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. I just made Christianity so simple for you tonight. All you gotta do is stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. That is my entire message for tonight. The rest is just fluff. I came all the way from Dallas, Texas to Orlando and then here to Jacksonville to tell you two things. Stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. That's all I got. That's literally all I have. As a matter of fact, I'm done. God bless you, it's been so good being with you. Stay in your lane and keep your eyes on him. It sounds so simple and it sounds so elementary, but I'm finding that is the most difficult thing for people to do, just to stay in their lane and keep their eyes on Jesus. That is the most difficult thing for some people to do. Come on, let's just think practically night. You ever been stuck in traffic? Ever been stuck in traffic? And isn't it funny, whenever you're stuck in traffic, you always feel like the lanes beside you are the ones that are moving faster. <laughs> what do you do? What do you do? You almost wreck your car trying to get in somebody else's lane and you would have been better off just staying in your lane. God told me to tell you don't wreck your life trying to get in somebody else's lane. Just stay in your lane and keep your eyes on Jesus. You're Your You're lame. You're, lame. You're lame. You have a lane. What a brilliant thought to consider that there's actually a lane that is marked out for me. Oh, that God in his sovereignty would actually give me a lane. You understand a lane is comprised of two lines, right? Two lines make a lane. One line here, and one line here. Sound effects always make preaching better, okay? One line here, and one line here. And you have to run within the parameters of the two lines. Two lines make a lane. Interestingly enough, every single one of us, we have two destinies. There is a duality to your destiny. One destiny is universal. There's a universal destiny for every believer, and that destiny is this, to become more and more like Jesus every single day. That is the universal destiny of every believer, to become more and more like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to show grace like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to forgive like Jesus. That is the universal destiny of every believer. If you're sitting in this room tonight going, what am I supposed to do in my life? I just told you, (laughs) become more and more like Jesus every single day. That is a universal destiny. But you do have another destiny, and it is not universal. It is unique. And that is, you're to become unlike anybody God has ever created. Because when God made you, he broke the mold. Everybody else is already taken. You may as well just be you. Do you, boo-boo. Just do you. So So every every day I wake up, here's how I'm running my race. I'm trying to be more and more like Jesus and unlike anybody God has ever created. More and more like Jesus and unlike anybody God has ever created. And that's how you have the strength to run your race. Is this helping anybody in here tonight? This is why, this is why once you put your faith in Jesus, you can never say you're just anything. Like that vernacular has to go out the window. You can't say I'm just this, I'm just that. Everything you do becomes your lane that brings glory and honor to him. So you can't say things like, well, I'm just a school teacher. No, you're not just a school teacher. You are God's representative in the classroom so the classroom can see what does Jesus look like when Jesus teaches a class. That's your lane. You say, well, well Robert, I'm, I'm just a nurse. No, you're not just a nurse. You are God's representative in the medical field so the medical field can see what does Jesus look like when Jesus gives a flu shot. That's your lane. Wherever you are, that's your lane. You say, well, dude, dude, I'm just a barista at Starbucks. Dude, dude, you're not just a barista at Starbucks. You are God's representative at Starbucks so the coffee world can see what does Jesus look like when Jesus serves a triple grande mocha frappuccino. That's your lane. That's your lane. That's your lane. I'm going to say it until I hit everybody. Somebody saying, "Robbie, you ain't talking to me. You ain't talking to me because I'm just a hairstylist. Girl, you are not just a hairstylist. You are God's representative in the hair salon so the hair salon can see what does Jesus look like when he puts weave and extensions in somebody's hair. Wherever you are, that's your lane. That's your lane. See, your work becomes worship when you're doing it for your purpose and not a paycheck. That's your lane. Well, the challenge, whoo, the challenge is to stay in my lane and keep my eyes on him. Because the day you start running your race like this, whoo, the day you start running your race like this, let me just prophesy to you, <laughs> there is a crash in your future. Selah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no wonder, no wonder Saul had such a huge crash. Because comparison caused him to shift his focus and his attention onto David. Make no doubt about it, there was a season in Saul's life where he was in his lane and he was running his race. Oh, don't get it twisted. You understand Saul was the first king of Israel. He was anointed and appointed by God to be king. I love when the Bible starts talking about Saul because the Bible uses very picturesque language. It says that he looked like a king, that he stood a head and shoulders above any other person. In fact, the Bible says he was good looking. Come on somebody, when the Bible says you're good looking, (laughs) can't nobody tell you you're ugly, okay? (laughs) Nobody. You just tell them, read the word, you already know. (laughs) This selfie is for you. So (laughs) he looked like a king and he talked like a king and God just blessed him to be the king. He just blessed him. But I found out you gotta be real careful with the blessing of God. Because if the brightness of the blessing ever blinds you to the blesser, it is no longer a blessing, it has become a curse. And the brightness of the blessing blinded Saul to the blesser, so much so he was more concerned with being the king than he was with worshiping the king of kings. He was more concerned with keeping his position than he was with chasing after God's presence. So God had to remove the kingship away from him. But there was another young boy out on the hillside of Jerusalem, and all he cared about was being in the presence of his God. He didn't care about a title, he didn't care about likes on Instagram, he didn't care about recognition. All he cared about was being in the presence of his God, even after his family alienated him and ostracized him and said, just go watch those dumb sheep. He is out there with those stanky sheep in his heart, just singing love songs to his God. Until one day, his dad sends him a text message and says, hey, can you go to the battlefield and bring your brothers a ham and cheese sandwich? And when he gets to the battlefield with the ham and cheese sandwich, he sees a giant who is big enough to eat hay and dumb enough to enjoy it. And he says, wait a minute, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Oh, I love David, because that's Christian cussing right there, okay? That is classic. Said, Christian custom. David said, who is this mm, uncircumcised Philistine? He said, no, I'm not going to be quiet while he talking about my God in front of everybody. No, man. I'm about to knock him out. Where my slingshot at? Some of y'all looking like, I ain't never read that version before in my life. Let me help you, okay? That's the NIV, all right? Negro International version, okay? That's... David said, hold up you are not going to talk about my God in front of everybody. He said, somebody let me know what do you get for knocking this giant out? Because I'm about to knock him out. They said, Dave, you want to know what you get for knocking him out? You're going to get the king's daughter in marriage and you'll never have to pay taxes again in your life. David said, what? Somebody hold my harp. He said you come at me with sword and spear but i come at you in the name of the lord the god of these armies whom you have defiled this day i will cut off your head and feed your flesh to the wild beasts of the field and the birds of the air and today the world will know there is a god in israel i love it i love it <laughs> it's exactly how david sounded by the way <laughs> he's 13 sounds like darth vader anyway Come on, you know the story. You've been around church. He releases that rock from a slingshot, hits Goliath in the forehead. Goliath comes crashing down. And hear me the day Goliath hit that ground, the day he hit that ground, David rose up. It was a destiny moment. You do know that all moments in your life are not created equal that there are some moments that are destiny moments. This was a destiny moment for David. In a moment, in a flash, the trajectory of his life changed. In a moment, he was catapulted from obscurity into notoriety. Everybody knew his name in a moment. They're going, David, David, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. He's trending on the internet now. Everybody's talking about David. Kids are re-watching the fight on YouTube. Talking about, Dad, I gotta get those David sneakers. They drop next week. You know they are gonna be sold out. This is a big moment for David. He has finally arrived. He's doing interviews on CNN, TBN, NBC, ABC, P. The whole alphabet wants to talk to David now. He can't go anywhere without paparazzi showing up and snapping pictures. I mean, come on, you understand, when he defeated Goliath, he became a rock star. Literally. Rock star. Christian jokes. I'm just trying to wake some of y'all up. This is a big moment for David. He's finally arrived. He's defeated the giant the wicked witch is dead. The game is over. The buzzer has sounded, and the Fat Lady has finally sung. Ooh. Only problem is Saul didn't like what the Fat Lady was singing. When the Fat Lady, just a group of ladies, and uh, here's what they sang: Saul has killed his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. And when Saul heard that, he went from running his race like this, to fixing his eyes. On to David therefore Saul becomes a case study of the downward spiral of what comparison will always do to your life because comparison is always the beginning of the end okay all right okay all right all of that was my introduction (laughs) I'm being so honest just got a few more moments and I promise we'll be done because I think we got to really look at Saul's speech, because Saul's speech actually teaches us how comparison always starts. Look at what Saul said after the ladies sing their song. He goes, huh, wait a minute. Y'all going to credit David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands? Wait a minute. Hold up, 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 hold up. <laughs> Y'all going to credit David, little old David with his nappy head, with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands. Did you hear it? Hear how comparison starts? Comparison always starts with, but me. He, but me. He, but me. See, Saul can't separate David's life from his life, nor can he separate David's success from his success. He immediately has to connect what's going on with David to him. He, but me. Have you ever met a but me person? These are the people that see everything in life through the lens of but me. These are people that no matter what's going on, they will find a way to connect everything in life right back to them. I call them but me people. They'll be like, oh, that's good for you. What about me? Don't forget about me. What about me? Don't forget about me. Have you thought about me? What about me? What about me? They will find a way to connect it back to them. Come on, you English majors are acutely aware of the fact that but is a conjunction. <laughs> conjunction, junction. Come on, somebody watch Schoolhouse Rock, yeah. What's your function? Hooking up phrases and clauses and making them sound right. That's what some people do in life. They connect every event in life right back to them. I call them butt-me people. Okay, you need a visual. So we're in sunny Florida, let me give you a visual. You ever met a butt-me person? These are the people who are completely blinded by but me, okay? Now, if I fall off the stage tonight, please don't laugh at me because I cannot see anything right now because I am completely blinded by but me. And can I tell you, nothing will blind you to who Jesus is like a but me attitude because the focus of your life is not supposed to be on you. You're supposed to fix your eyes on Jesus so you can run the race that he set before you. But me people, these are the worst people to tell a success story to. Don't tell a but me person about your praise report. You know why? They can't celebrate what's going on with you without connecting it back to them. You'll call a but me person up and you'll be like, oh, God is good. Yes, he is. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I finally got that raise on my job. Isn't that great? And they'll go, yeah, that's great. For you but me. God, how you gonna give him a raise? You ain't giving me a raise on my job. I've been coming to Sub-30 way longer than him, giving in every offering, paying my tithe. How you gonna bless all but me? And I'm telling you, but me will steal your joy. It'll steal your peace because the focus of your life is on you instead of on him. Oh, there's nothing worse than a but me attitude. I'm telling you, a but me attitude will take the joy out of the most celebratory moment the most celebratory moment. Nothing worse who, than a but-me bridesmaid. I mean, come on, this is a wedding. Everybody's smiling, wearing white. Celine Dion is playing in the background. White doves have been released for a cage. And there's the hating but-me bridesmaid talking about, oh, Lord, how you gonna give her a man and you ain't giving me a man? You know how long I've been bombing. Myself? You know how many nights I had to watch the notebook on Netflix by myself? Oh, I'm gonna throw the rice. I'm just saying, I would like my man, my bo ass, but me, and but me will rob you of your joy and your peace because the focus of your life is on you instead of on him. Saul's got on the but me glasses. If somebody comes to the piano to play softly behind me because when soft music plays behind a preacher, he sounds more spiritual. And uh, How do you, uh, How do you know if you have on the butt-me glasses? Kasal has on the butt-me glasses. How do you know? I think there's some signs. If you can't celebrate the successes of other people, you got on the butt-me glasses. If you are stingy with your compliments, and you think to compliment or commend somebody else somehow takes something from you, you got on the butt-me glasses. If there's anybody in your life Anybody in your life that secretly you would find joy or happiness in their failure? That's the person you're racing. And you got on the butt Me glasses. Ooh, it's quiet up in here. And can we be so honest? Isn't it so easy to put on the butt Me glasses? Isn't it so easy? Come on, that's why I'm preaching the message, because I do it all the time. It's so easy to put on the button glasses, especially in our culture today, the culture of social media. Ooh, social media. <laughs> Somebody get that tomorrow. Because <laughs> you got so many devices where you can see what everybody has, what everybody's doing with a click of a button Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. You are constantly inundated with everybody else's life. So it's so easy to put on the button glasses. Isn't it funny how our awareness accelerates our discontentment? Can you imagine how happy you would be if you just didn't know? But you got so many devices that let you know. I mean, come on, you were so happy with your vacation to Disney, weren't you? You were so happy, like, woo, turn up, we're going to Disney, gonna be that best vacation, happiest place in the world, until you got on your Instagram and saw one of your good friends was going to Dubai. You're like, I don't wanna be in Disney, I hate this rat, man, I wish I was in Dubai. But me, come on, you were so happy with your Ford Focus, weren't you? When God blessed you with your Ford Focus, you were like, whoo, God, thank you for my Ford Focus. I am focused on my Ford Focus. I don't have to ask anybody for a ride. Whoo, come on, y'all pile in. We're going somewhere. I got a Ford Focus. So you got on Facebook and saw one of your good friends got a Ferrari, and they don't even go to church. You're like, but me, why? Has thou forsaken me, but me? So easy to put them on. And hear me, I'm not hating on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. I'm not saying it's sin. I think it's awesome. I'll be on it after the service. (laughs) Sometimes I wonder, I really do. I wonder if the screens on our phones and our computers and our iPads have now become mirrors by which we constantly check for reflection to see if we measure up to somebody else. And like a scene stolen from Snow White, we silently echo the words of the wicked witch, who, by the way, check the mirror every day just to see mirror, mirror on the wall who's the fairest of them all. Only today it's mirror, mirror on Facebook. (laughs) Tell me how my life should look. Mirror, mirror on Instagram. Tell me who I really am. And we keep checking. Every second. Every day. All day, every day. Eating dinner. In church. Preach, Robert. This is a good message right here. <laughs> Just wonder what our lives would look like if we reflected on the Word of God. Which, by the way, James calls a mirror. <laughs> Maybe then we could run the race God has set before us. Get in our lane because we fixed our eyes on Him. Come on, is there anybody in here that says, it's time for me to get on my mark and get off of theirs so I can run my race? I, uh, I promise I'm done, but uh, I've just never been one of those preachers that can preach stuff out that God had hit me upside the head with. If you just allow me to really be transparent and kind of tell you what was the impetus for this whole message tonight. Not too distant past, I had this incredible opportunity to preach at a conference in Sydney, Australia. And uh, at the time, it was my assignment to just preach to the youth and the young adults of this conference. And I was so excited about going. I was like, going down under to Australia, mate. Gonna preach to the young adults and see some kangaroos. I said, it's gonna be awesome. (laughs) And in conjunction with the youth and young adults having their conference, there's also the main stage part of the conference. And for the main stage part of the conference, it's some 30,000 people that gather in an arena in Sydney for the main stage part. And the people that have preaching main stage are people who are really struggling uh, to get their ministries off of the ground. Uh, People like Bishop T.D. Jakes. Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer. So I said, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to preach to the youth and the young adults and listen to these great men and women of God preach. And so I'm sitting there in that arena and my wife is there with me and my wife and I knew something that the other 30,000 were about to find out. And that was just before we had arrived to Sydney to just preach to the youth and young adults. I'd actually received an invitation to preach main stage for the conference the following year. So I'm sitting in that arena and I'm looking around, I'm kind of taking everything in and, and all of a sudden... They show the promotional video for the upcoming conference. And it's all these big names, big names, huge, big. Abraham Lincoln was one of the speakers they were gonna have <laughs> at the next conference. And then, then my name rolls up on the screen. And the pastor and the leader, the visionary of the conference, he almost had to qualify because he goes, There's one name you probably didn't recognize on the list. He said, It's Robert Madu. He said, It'll be one of the youngest speakers we've ever had to preach main stage. Then he pauses, true story, pauses and goes, and you know what? I think I might let you get a preview of his preaching on this stage, this week, in this arena. (laughs) Now, that would have been cool. That would have been cool if I wasn't finding out in that moment with the other 30,000 people in the arena. Immediately, my heart went down into my shoe. I started sweating. I see the pastor after the service. He goes, mate, did you hear my announcement? I go, yes, I did. He goes, he goes, true story. He goes, I'm thinking tomorrow after T.D. Jakes preaches, you could get up and preach for like 10 minutes as a preview for next year's conference. He goes, what do you think about that? I went, yeah, (laughs) that'd be great. (laughs) Went to the hotel room that night, true story. Fell on the ground in the fetal position. Tears coming down my face. I can't do this. I can't do this. Bobby It's tell me this now. He could have told me this 30 years ago. You ever just had one of those moments where you just felt so overwhelmed, so intimidated? I love my wife. She's the best. She's my CEO. She's my chief encouragement officer. And uh <laughs> and she's a Southern belle. She's like, babe, it's okay. You can do it. You can do it. I said, no, I can't, no, I can't. Call my dad up for some support. Call my dad up. You know, my dad is from Nigeria. He's African. He came to America like Eddie Murphy in the movie. And uh, met my mom who's American, which is why I'm African-American. And called my Nigerian dad up for some support. I'll never forget what he said. He said, son, you can do this, okay? Before the foundation of the earth, God knew you would be there. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can do it. I said, no, I can't, no, I can't, no, I can't. So nervous so intimidated before I got on that stage in that arena, had a conversation that I often have with myself. I stopped and I paused. I said, wait a minute, who opened this door? Who opened this door? God did. Who did they ask to speak? Me. I can only be me. So I got up there for 10 minutes, I was me. When I got off the stage and I was studying this text, the Holy Spirit, I felt like, asked me a critical question. The Holy Spirit said, Robert, would you like to know the real reason why you fell on the ground in the fetal position, tears coming down your face? I thought to myself, real reason? Uh, No. <laughs> I know the real reason. There were 30,000 people in the arena. The Holy Spirit said, no, that's not the real reason. So the real reason you felt that weight of intimidation is because when you were listening to all those other names preach, you weren't listening to the Word of God. You were comparing how they run their race to the way I've called you to run your race. And that's why you felt that weight of intimidation. So let that be the last time that tears come down your face because you're playing the comparison game. And just understand, I have given you a grace to run your race. There is a grace to run your race. Somebody needs to hear that tonight. There is a grace to run your race. There is a grace to run your race. So can I make an announcement at sub 30? I hope it doesn't stop me from coming back. But can I tell y'all, I'm a horrible T.D. Jakes. I am the worst Joe Osteen you have ever seen in your life. I'm not a good Judah Smith, I'm a terrible Carl Lynch. I'm not a good Stovall Weeves. I'm a terrible Pastor Clay, y'all know I'm not a good Joyce Meyer, but there's one thing I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, I am the best Robert Madu you have ever seen in your life, come on somebody, I gotta be me and you gotta be you, this is your moment to get in your lane, fit your eyes on Jesus and run your race. Come on, somebody give God some praise all over this place tonight. Come on, let's lift him up and fix our eyes on Jesus.